Hey, welcome back to Make More Music, the podcast that connects people to music and one another. My name's Chris, and I'm a board-certified music therapist. If you're new here, thanks for joining us. I interview a bunch of different music professionals to show the lives, the career paths, and how people make a living doing what they love with music. Today, I've got an awesome story about a guy who had to find his own path and did a lot of different things and now has his own business. He consults and freelances and helps with being a drum tech, a front of house engineer, and ultimately does a lot of things with what he loves with drums and percussion. So he's got some awesome social media channels where he's putting out all kinds of drum tips and tricks all the time. So let's go ahead and hop right into it. This is Nate Testa with Testa Beat Drums, the snare drum geek. Here he is. All right, Nate, welcome to Make More Music. You and I first connected uh, when I was planning a music therapy prom for Florida Hospital, now Advent Health Orlando, and you connected me with like the Ludwig family. You're like, here, reach out to this guy. And uh, so you're just totally in the whole culture of the nation and, you know, historic drummers. So um, how's it going? How are you doing during all this quarantine and stuff, man? Um, actually, we're doing pretty good. Um, for me and my wife, kind of everything is uh, gone on as normal. Um, my wife is a full-time seamstress, so her shop that she works at in downtown Orlando hasn't closed. They're still receiving customers, um, and they're kind of keeping under the uh, like range, like uh, national range that they would want as many people coming in for like five or 10 people. So at most it's like mm. five people there. So she's good. And then I'm kind of just, um, kind of still working from home. 90% of what I do is normally from home. And the only thing that changed for me was that there was a couple of gigs that got canceled or rearranged. Um, and actually Sunday's going to be very interesting. So, I mean, if we ever have time later on, we could talk about that later, but I mean, it's, it's definitely a very big Big change, if you would think so. Um, you can go ahead and for... tell us tell us about Sunday then, because you said you mentioned it to me before about rearranging the church service and what that looks like. Yeah, yeah. So um, for Sunday, it's only going to be normally the church that I play at, at least one of them, uh, which is kind of like the main gig. Uh, they only have normally two services. And uh, so on Sunday, they're only going to be doing one at 10 o'clock. And uh, so how that's going to look is we'll come in, practice will start at 8.30, and it will literally be me, tracks, um, and then the two worship leaders and probably one of the worship leaders will be like playing either acoustic or electric guitar. And I think if I, if I remember correctly, we're only doing like one song. So it be pretty quick, pretty simple, to the point, and then they'll jump straight into – um, like kind of the sermon. And so it's, it's kind of going to be very unique, especially when there's not going to be any audience there. Um, no congregation is going to be there. It's all going to be online. They're going to have, um, like watch parties at different people's houses that will volunteer that will allow people to come to the, their, their houses. But I mean, outside of that really just going to be people opening up their laptops at 10 o'clock and, and joining us at the church online via their homes. Yeah, it's pretty interesting how not just churches, but 
musicians in general are responding. I've seen so many people that I like and listen to are doing, you know, live shows on YouTube or Instagram and things like that. It's cool, man. It's fun to stay connected through all this. So, um, well, let's, let's hop into the, the rapid fire. So I want you to open up, whether it's your phone or whatever, the last place you listen to music, what is the last track you played? Uh, this is the most, I just opened it. Uh, I think, I think the song's called Lamarck's or or Lamar. It's really weird, but it's a band called Fork, which is spelled F O R Q. And it got started by a guy named Henry Hay and the main guy from, uh, ah, it's the main guy from, uh, Snarky Puppy, which is the bassist. Oh. Uh, I believe his name is Michael Michael League. Yeah. Yeah. And so they kind of – they had worked together before and then I think Henry kind of popped it open of trying to do like a collab um, project together and they called it Fork. And they're kind of like a jazz fusion kind of band. There's only about four or five people in it. And it's really like – think of like Snarky Puppy but like a lot more simpler, much more um, – like guitar led and piano led. Um, Henry's mm-hmm. the a main pianist, but so it's very interesting and very. It's like jazz on steroids. Like really, it's it sounds so good. I just really love that type of music. Kind of like out there and like so much different than the the mainstream music that we listen to. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'll have to check that out. All right, next one. I'm wondering if you're going to surprise me. If you were an instrument, what would you be? And you can take it as philosophically as you want. Um, I actually would get really specific um, because it kind of matches me so well. And I think you probably weren't going to expect me to say snare drum. And I am going to say that, but <laughs> it's going to be, it's, it's going to be, if I would compare myself, it'd be my 1971 Lugwit Superphonic. Um, it's like model 400, um, it's legit like November 3rd, 1971 is super cool. Um, and the funny thing about that, it has such a story to it. And if you want to go a little depth and kind of give some go layers, ahead. that's or what it's for. Whatever. Let's hear it. <laughs> um, well, when you look at the outside, the, the history of that particular, um, snare drum really came from how they built the drum at the time. And they didn't know that you can't plate aluminum without putting something over it like copper or tin or something that allows the like chrome to stay on the shell. And so they were literally just taking aluminum and then coating it with, um, with um, chrome. And so now with people, whoever had it before me didn't take care of it too well. And now it's like chipping um, really bad. So you see like, it's like flaking all over the drum. And so from a distance, you're like, man, that's kind of like a crappy looking drum. But if I were to tell you and sit down with you, the tell you the story, it would, it would make a lot more sense. So I think kind of, I kind of refer that back to myself where like, sometimes you, you look at me and it's like, yeah, there's not really a lot to, to go with there. But when you kind of <laughs> peel, peel back the layers, <laughs> you peel back the layers, um, you see there's a lot more, especially when it comes to like what I do as a living, there's a lot more to what I do than just like, oh, he's a drummer or he's this or he's that. Um, and also the basic thing of a snare drum is that you can tune it to whatever. The, the great thing I love about that particular snare is that you can like really 
like tune it to wherever you need it to go. And it doesn't really have like, I mean, it has a sweet spot, but it, it really can be played with. And as long as you have like, you know, one or two ply head and some duct tape, you're going to be able to get whatever sound you, you can imagine out of it, especially with the tools. If you have the tools in your head to get that sound, then yeah, it's a, it's a great snare. So that's what I would say I am. <laughs> nice. I love it. I love it. Um, during all this craziness, what is something that's been inspiring you recently? Oh man. Um, could be anything. The, the constant push on social media of, um, I saw this one post that somebody shared to their story and they said, and it was like a couple of them. Actually, it was a, it was a guy from England called, his name's Ash Stone, really big, like, um, session musician. Um, and, uh, he used to play on like the voice in the UK and stuff like that. Super cool. And he shared this to his stories, like creativity is not canceled. And so with all, mm. so many things being like canceled and like, whether it's my work, whether it's his work, whether it's all other musicians work, um, the creativity part is not. And so even though you're stuck at home, even though you may be kind of struggling to pay the bills or coming on to the last like two checks that maybe got backlog from another company and they're finally coming in and that's all you have for the next like month. Um, there's other ways that you can create, um, not just with content or with music, but ways to create an income. And so, um, when it really comes down to it, I think it's a really great, thing that kind of hit me hard because now I'm kind of thinking of what I can do outside the box of what I've already been doing as I'm legitimately stuck at home. Cause normally it's like, Oh, I, I work at home a couple of days and then oh, I have a gig on Wednesday or something. And then I'm kind of, I'm kind of always out and about, but now it's literally like I'm stuck. Like there's, there's, I'm here. If I get bored, I'm cleaning the house. Like this, <laughs> like there's something yeah. like to do obviously, but yeah, creativity is like something that I feel like, man, that's, that's such a good call to us that are stuck at home and don't feel like we have anything to do or feeling bummed about all the things that are not happening at the moment. Like you can always create, whether that be through income or, or music or anything of that sort. Well, that leads good into the next one. What is a pro tip or a <laughs> hack, anything in life that you feel like that you practice that other people should know about? Oh, creating a to-do list daily. Like I saw... I've, I had this thing called – there's an app called The Doist and I and mm -hmm. I had it ever since I had like an Android phone. Since then, switched to Apple. You know, hey, go Apple. Um, and uh, <laughs> and so uh, it's called The Doist and basically you can write out a – or type out a, um, a daily to-do list each and every day. So um, there are certain things that kind of stay the same and they're like, all right, well, I get up normally at 6.30 every day and there's a lot of things that I want to get done before 10 a.m. So I have a section or like a, uh, a, a subgroup kind of set up where I have certain things that are under that subgroup called before 10 a.m. And so there's a lot of – and that's kind of been motivating me to like, all right, I can get all these things done before 10 a.m. And it makes me feel more excited to get into the day feeling that I've accomplished all these little things going into my actual workday, which kind of starts around 10 right when my wife leaves for work. So that kind of is something that I really feel people tend to lack or don't keep track of most of the time because mm. they just get so cluttered with all the stuff they have to do in a day. And it's like, hey, even just writing it out, don't even download the app. If you're not tech savvy, just write it out. Writing it out helps so much and just organizing your thoughts. And I learned yeah. that like this, the first year going into like 
doing this full time, like I had to have some type of like schedule or I was going to go mm. crazy. Cause then you like, you're all scatterbrained. You don't know what you're doing. Even like the podcast, I had that on my to-do list. I'm like, Hey, recording this at one o'clock. Like it just, it helps. Yeah, man. Uh, and I like you kind of hit on that topic of giving yourself some wins early in the day. So, you know, by 10 AM you've already checked boxes and your head's in a good place. So, um, mm-hmm. to switch gears totally, what is your go-to <laughs> junk food? Oh, I, I was listening to another episode before this one. And the moment you said that, I was like, boom, Twinkies. I was, that's oh, the one thing that like, oh, yeah, that's the, uh, yeah, Twinkies. If I could live off of Twinkies, I, <laughs> I would. <laughs> no matter, yeah, no matter how long the quarantine lasts, your Twinkies will outlast you. So that'll be good. Yes, they will. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, lastly, before we get into the rest, what's a person project or an organization that you want to lift up with a shout out, man? Uh, it honestly, I was thinking about this when you would ask somebody else this and when it really comes down to it is kind of be a little broad, but it's just the people in my life. Um, when it really Mm. comes down to it, um, your shape, I, I, when I listen to, uh, uh, John Lee Dumas on Entrepreneurs on Fire, he said, You're, you are the five people you spend the most time with. And for mm. me, it's like, oh, bro, like the people that like I have been graced enough to be able to be around to help mold me, to help shape me, for even my wife to like stick with me through all these years of like me not wanting to have a regular job, wanting to be different, wanting to do stuff different, knew that I like hated working for other people and wanted to work for myself. There's just so many people that I could just name off of a list that have just poured their heart when they literally did not have to. And the, the, the willingness to, to be there to support me. Um, I think it's a good reminder for any of us that we are always going to have those people in our lives. And whether it's just one person or two people or five people or 10 people, um, those people have always made help make a difference. Um, with the growth that you have or so kind of twisted it on the people that are listening. Like there's always going to be that person. And mm, for yeah. luckily for me, I have many of those people. Well, yeah, that's a good transition to when you were a young child, what were some of your earliest musical memories and who was influencing you? Who are those people getting you into music? Well, what I can remember is um, at least earliest years my parents always tell me this story that I was like two or three years old. Um, they found me one time in the kitchen and I'd organized some pots and pans. It's such a generic <laughs> drummer story. It's like every single drummer has this story for some reason. The pots and pans um, story. But I, yeah, the pots and pans story. Yeah, I don't know why that's such a thing. But um, for some reason, I had pots and pans and that's what my parents told me. I put some pots and pans in front of me and I was kind of playing on them. And my dad plays piano, my mom sings, and my, my dad sings as well. And so they kind of noticed that I was kind of keeping rhythm. And uh, yeah, so like ever since then, they kind of knew I had um, some musical abilities, um, but it was never like, oh, he's going to drum lessons right away. And yeah, it was kind of just letting me kind of grow and nurture and I played sports growing up and all that stuff. And then the performance wise, music wise, um, I, 
I was homeschooled up until I was in fourth, uh, fifth grade. And so normally they have a teacher that kind of checks in and kind of see how the student's doing and how, how is everything going? How are they, how are they developing? Or they send some type of representative. And so they were there and, you know, my dad being the proudful father that he is of his kids, he was like, Oh, my son plays drum. And we had, we had, I had a kid at the time and he's like, Oh, my son plays drums. How we play for you? And I was like, "What? What are you doing, Dad?" And I was super shy when I was younger, so I was like, "Dad, what are you doing?" Like, I so I like really like timidly ended up playing while he played the piano, and so yeah, I was that was another memory. And then um, my parents always played music growing up, and I, I can't even remember or tell you like what type of music. Normally, it was probably like you know Christian music, Michael W. Smith, or. Um, mm. Actually, a group I grew up with listening to a ton actually um, was a, a acapella group. Oh, they had music with them, but it was called For Him. It was like four guys. And I just loved – something that's always intrigued me was like harmonies. And I just mm. loved their renditions of like kind of classic songs um, while I was growing up because my dad also led worship at some of the churches that he he's helped pastor at. And so that was kind of always – a thing for me. And even though I didn't like sing much then it, that really kind of formed some, some love for really good musicianship and, and stuff like that. So yeah. And then honestly growing up, it was really all like just watching people. So I would like sit there at church and I would literally watch the drummer the entire time. You could not pull me away from me, like staring at the drummer, like <laughs> intently trying to figure out what they're playing or, or how they're doing it. Or it was always something along those lines when it came to just drums in general. That's awesome, man. Did you do any experiences like band in middle school or high school or anything like that? <laughs> this is going to be an interesting. Um, so in middle school I did. <laughs> and uh, my brothers were always heavily involved after we all did sports growing up. Like we played baseball and stuff, but when we got to middle school, my brothers really got into like that band thing and they did band all through high school. And, and my brother played, my little brother, my youngest brother played uh, saxophone, and then I'm the oldest, so I have another younger brother. The middle child, Josh, he played um, kind of everything, any woodwind instrument or or kind of like any brass instrument. He literally could play anything. So he was like main flute, and then dude, he was doing like oboe stuff and like really different stuff that they, he was like learning along the way. So in middle school, um, I did try out for the – um, music group, the band, middle school band that was there. And I did try out for snare drum and I didn't get it. Mm, <laughs> yeah, funny. I didn't get it. Um, I practiced really hard and I, and I just, there was a couple spots left and I just, I didn't get it. Um, so I ended up playing trumpet um, for a little bit and I absolutely hated it so much because I was so pissed that I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> didn't get snare drum. Um, but I think that also kind of helped me in a way um, now that I look back on it to, I mean, maybe I, I kind of look at it and like, man, maybe I didn't prepare as much as I should have, or, or maybe I, uh, maybe it just wasn't my time. Or, or I know that, uh, by playing trumpet it introduced me to like, kind of reading music a little bit and seeing what that looks like and learning where an A on the scale is or, or a mm. C or any kind of the basic, um, like notation stuff. Um, earlier on, but I was still like really pissed that I didn't get snare drums. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. 
And then, uh, so you're playing at church while you're growing up and stuff like that? Yeah, it was like here and there. Um, it became a lot more... Uh, it became a lot more prevalent for me playing at church when I was like like nine years old, nine, 10. That's when we moved to Florida. And mm. for me, that's when I kind of remember getting a little bit more involved with the churches we were at. So I would help with like youth group um, and kind of build up from there. And then when I turned about 15, that's when a shift kind of changed at the church we were at. And a guy um, that um, used to live – Sorry, my dog's like going crazy. <laughs> you can edit this. It's out. all right. It's all right. Don't worry about it. My dogs are sleeping right above us right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know how it goes. One of them sleeping, the other one's. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you said you're about 15. Yeah. Um, so when I turned 15, uh, things kind of shifted at the church we were at. And there was a guy that came to our church as the worship pastor that was from um, Browns, I think it's Brownsville, um, Florida, I believe. I mean, he was a he was a worship pastor before and kind of did it other places. But the real big uh, ticker whenever he got hired was he was part of the Brownsville revival with like Lindo Cooley and that kind of like genre so very like southern gospel type of like awesome like four on the floor like boom chick boom chick boom chick like stuff like that and mm. so that kind of started almost like my melting pot situation where i really started to dive into like what it meant to really be a great drummer and have musicianship and play the simple parts and play to the music and and like don't play for yourself don't add the fill here. If you want to play for like the whole song, that's what I ended up doing. Like I learned that very early on and I can probably attest a lot of the growth that I have from the age of like 15 to 18 really with him and the time that he was there. That's where a lot of that growth happened for me. So as you're getting up towards 18, uh, I don't know anything about your background, like if you decided to go to music school or anything like that, but what were the decisions as you're ending high school? What were you thinking about doing? Playing football. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. What position? I played a defensive end and a little bit of linebacker while I was in, cool. in high school. And so I tried applying to different places. Where I really wanted to go is University of South Florida and – um, this has kind of plagued me almost my entire, excuse me, this has kind of plagued me my entire, uh, like schooling life is that I was always great with like getting homework done and doing, being a very good student. I was always get A's and B's, but my test taking really wasn't that great. Um, mm. and it, what I don't, it had nothing to do with, it really had nothing to do with, uh, my lack of study or, or anything like that. I just really wasn't a great test, test taker. I believe that um, I just got maybe really nervous. And so my SAT and ACT scores like weren't great. So that t stopped me from getting into schools like USF. And I applied like six or seven times and never mm. once got in. And so for a span of about two years, I went to uh, – um, 
So for a span of about two years, I went to Valencia Community College, which is mm. based in uh, Kissimmee, Florida. And they have a place right there at their Osceola campus. And so I did that for two years. And while I was doing that, I played a little bit of um, semi-pro football. And basically, you like pay to play, essentially. So you pay like, you know, a uh, hundred bucks or so. And uh, they basically provide you with like jerseys and like you kind of have to get everything else essentially. I think they, I had to buy a helmet, everything like that. So I, I was really kind of like all in on this like football thing. And it really wasn't until um, after I got the school that I was at, um, I kind of realized, I kind of realized this really wasn't for me. And uh, I love the idea of working out. I love the idea of staying in shape. Um, but the idea of football, like was kind of, I was kind of losing that passion in that time of my life. And also I had gotten a really great job on campus. And now this is kind of at, and I kind of skipped over the, the school. It's called Southeastern University. It's in Lakeland, Florida. Mm. And yeah, my uh, wife is a dual enrollment teacher there. She teaches a high school class for, for that school. Oh, super cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, they, uh, so yeah. The school was Southeastern University, and uh, I had the moment I got there. It was like my middle of like sophomore, junior year ish, and so I basically had to like gray shirt. With gray shirt is like they didn't scout you, they weren't looking for you, but you basically get a spot in the team. Basically, it's saying it's a little too late for you to join, so they'll gray shirt you to keep your eligibility, and you basically mm -hmm. just you you go through the workout regimen each and every week on your own. So a lot of self-discipline there, a lot of like do it on your own. If the trainer's around and you have a question, he can you can ask him. Um, but he's, his main focus is the actual guys on the team. Um, so that was a lot of like uh, self-motivation, self-push. That's kind of always been my, my thing. I mean, even during those two years that I was still playing football, I would have days where I would have to go to school. And so before, I would go to school, but before that, I would wake up at like 5 or 5.30 with a friend of mine. We would go to the gym. Then we would go to Valencia. I'd be there almost all day. Then I would have to work, and then I would, wouldn't be home till like 11 or 12. So sometimes I was pulling some long days, and that really was like – but it was always the push of like, I want to do this. I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to – the situation is going to change. It's going to get better. And – I really honestly wasn't looking at football. I mean, I wasn't looking at uh, music really that much. I really was kind of mm -hmm. like, it was kind of a side thing. I would play at church and stuff. Um, but the main focus was, man, I want to be, you know, I want to be a football star. Like I, I want to play in the NFL and stuff like that. So you said you were getting a little burned out on football. Like what caused that burnout? And then what kind of drew you back into music? Um. I think it was the realization that I wasn't as good as I thought I was. Um, mm. I, I would always push myself. I would always um, like work really, really hard. And yet I think there's just a natural um, – I, I think you just have to come to the realization that um, I wasn't getting better than anybody else. And so as in like there were guys that are just naturally gifted in playing sports. And even though I had to work a little bit harder, I was getting there. But it was like, man, 
I think you're kind of born to do stuff that you're naturally good at. And I'm not saying that like if you're not naturally good at something, sometimes people do have to work a little bit harder. But it makes more sense to me to go after something that has not just been in your life for a long time, but that you can improve on pretty much instantly. Like I lean on your gifts. Yeah, so. lean on your gifts. Exactly. Like it, I definitely had an ear to to play music. Like there's a lot of times where I would come into like sessions and I would have to listen to a, a song before that session and literally try to figure out all the parts by then or come up with parts on my own. Or we're, we're, we're like going back and forth saying, hey, like what do you want on this or what do you want on that? Like it, it's really a gift that a lot of people don't have. And it's something that's developed and worked on um, and you just continually get better at it, obviously, but some people just don't have that ear for it. And for me, I just didn't have the physical ability to push myself over that hump of going to that next level. Um, but I really felt that I could do that with, um, with music, especially because, like I said, I had a opportunity for a job on campus with um, – Sorry about that. I had a uh, job on campus um, for uh, basically it was just you were working on media stuff for the uh, for the school. So basically, if anything happened, um, media services. Sorry about that. Uh, so basically, what they would do is they would just go and like do all the events on campus. So you'd be doing sound, you'd be setting up stuff, you setting up lights. If they had a big party or something or a get together with all the students, you would be setting up all that stuff. Um, so it was a good job and I was excited about it. And that kind of pushed me like, man, I don't think I'm going to be able to do both. And I kind of really want this job. And I was already feeling that tug of like, I really want to start looking to like what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I don't think that's here in football. And so when I went, it was a, uh, it was a meeting for like a position meeting with all the defensive linemen and stuff. And in that meeting, I kind of like towards the end of the meeting, uh, I ended up telling the coach and them like, Hey, I, I think this is just not for me and told them reasons why. And I was like bawling my eyes out because I've never quit anything in my life. Like I was just like, my parents always taught me like, Hey, you either, when you start something, you're going to finish it. And with that particular mindset, that was probably one of the hardest things I ever had to do. Um, mm. But they completely understood and they completely supported me um, because at the end of the day, if I stay on, I'm wasting my time, I'm wasting their time. And I much rather would have them have people that are dedicated fully in it, ready to go to win a championship, to, to work hard um, and to have an opportunity to get a starting position or move on to another level or whatever the case is. And so that was kind of the thought process. And that day I went back to my dorm. I kind of called my um, my my fiance at the time, my, now my wife, and she came and picked me up and uh, kind of just because um full like tell people understand why she picked me up. It's because um, sports people came like a month or two early to school and they would basically live on campus and you basically mm. it would basically be all these sports people all anybody that played a sport um they were on campus at least a month a month and a half before so so i didn't really need to be there for another like two or three weeks so yeah, yeah. so she kind of came in and i at the time i didn't have a car so she came and picked me up and that was kind of it for that particular situation 
Well, you said you were starting to realize, man, I have these gifts that I'm not leveraging. So what was the first steps into getting you towards being, you know, test to be drums, the drum sultan and all the things like that? What are the steps between that to there? Um, it was really kind of just like focusing on school. And so I was taking a lot of classes that had to do with like, you know, recording arts and kind of giving me the basis of that. And then also I like helped do the live stream that our school did for all of our services um, through um, like through the week and mm. doing like front of house stuff and tech stuff, um, not even referring to drums, but also like while we were set up stuff for, for the live events, um, obviously for our chapel services, the main ones at least, um, they would have drums all the time. So I would always jump to like trying to help out with miking the drums and making sure that the positioning was good. And uh, that kind of really always intrigued me when it came to to that aspect. Because I was always the guy at my church too that like whenever heads need to be changed or I would suggest, hey, guys, like the heads kind of need to be changed. It's been a while. Um, they would just be like, all right, cool. And so they order the heads and if you can come in on a day – um, that you're free, you can change out the heads. And so that's always been like a thing for me. Like I've always really like been intrigued by that type of stuff. And then be, being able to do that in school really like uh, helped me develop those skills. And so it was, it was a combination of that. It was a combination of um, being introduced to a really good friend of mine, mentor named Isra Batista. He is a um, recording engineer at River Bear Studios in Orlando. And uh, he just was one of those people that just poured into me. I was super like, I was super ignorant early on and like being somebody that knows so much as he does, he was very patient with me and just basically able to say, no, that's wrong. Here's the facts. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And it was kind of that that constant process of him continually like proving me wrong. And it still happens. He's he's a very intelligent individual, uh, individual and has done a lot in his lifetime, whether it's just like, being in the military or going to full sale university or, or just doing a lot and is like right 90% of the time. So I, I get corrected by him more so than not. And sometimes it's like, Oh, so there's very rare times that he'll say, Oh, actually I didn't know that. So when I do, I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Oh man. I feel so smart now, but You're like leveled up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, like, again, that like really happens. But it was also getting contact with him and him just pouring into me when it came to drums and uh, drum history and like like even when it comes to like products and stuff like that. Like nothing is really a phrase is like there's nothing new under the sun. Like mostly everything that you could think of that's been done has been done when it comes to drums. Um, there are all there are also there are still a lot of advances that are happening with people that build things or whatever. But yeah when it came to him, it was just all drums and it came to recording and I would ask him questions and I still ask, he's my number one go-to source. Um, after I've kind of looked over stuff at Google and I can't find something, some things you just can't find online anymore uh, because it's like not there or you have to dig into a forum or something. And most of the time he's good on the information that, that he has. So it was diving in with him, Mike techniques, um, I did sessions at the, that studio as well. So it's also developing how I play sessions and how I approach sessions now. 
So that kind of really developed me um, as kind of an overall when it came to like live drumming, my thought process, like he had a really big impact on, on how I approached um, being a drummer, being a drum tech, being an engineer. Um, he really kind of peeled that curtain back and kind of showed behind this great world of studio recording. And so that kind of also trickled into me learning and diving more on my own because I had all these drums in my house. There was a point where I had like, I think I counted like 17 or 18 snares at a, at a moment in time. Wow. And uh, that was definitely getting on hoarder type of status <laughs> pretty quick. And But the cool thing about having that and whether it was a lower end drum or a higher end drum, I was able to play around with their tuning, grab some heads, uh, switch out things, uh, play around with what sounded good, what didn't sound good. And when it really kind of boiled down to it, I kind of focused on, all right, well, the main goal is how everything sounds in a studio. So why not treat every single situation like that? Because you get, mm. he, he's one of those people that gets amazing raw drum sounds in his studio. And so if that's the focus in a studio, why can't that be, why can't that be the focus in live? So for me, it's like, that's why I'm always kind of like tweaking and playing with things, even though you have so much um, room for error when it comes to live, because there's so mm. many things happening. The variables. Yeah, yeah there's yeah, yeah. way too many variables. You can't control everything that ever happens. So that kind of instilled in me that idea of, well, I can take the same approach, even though it may not mean as much, it definitely will help a ton going forward so that's kind of how i approached it he doesn't really think so like it doesn't really make that much of a difference but i mean i really think it does and even though it may be just a small difference um that's that's really exciting for me and as i continue to kind of dive into this so he really that's kind of a lot of the story is like he really helped me kind of go and navigate through this wild like like journey and like rabbit hole of drums and yeah. i continue to like deep deep into like you know drum forums and and like groups on on facebook and stuff like that to like really hear everyone's ideas even though i know now at this point a lot of people are wrong um i like to hear what they have <laughs> to say um just because we have i mean i i, I that sounded really prideful that i don't think like well, sometimes they are wrong, though. That's, I mean, straight up. Well, like, no, they, I mean, that's the internet. Everybody seems like they know everything and they can speak confidently. But well, I was just talking with a guy at a uh, guitar store and talked to him about the challenges of running a uh, you know brick-and-mortar shop this day and age. He goes, people come in on, with something they got on Reverb or eBay and somebody else told them it was this. And mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a piece of crap, you know? So Yeah. Um, and he goes, well, I thought it was worth this much. And they're like, well, that's what a person on the internet told you. <laughs> so I feel like when we were growing up, it was like, not everything you hear on TV is true. Now it's like, not everything you hear on the internet. is Yeah, true. absolutely. Yeah. And I loved it. It's kind of like a weird connection. I was listening to the podcast before. Um, I think it was like your episode 10. And one of her things was like to be mindful of or something is like, like watch what you curate, like or what you take yeah. in. And I was like, man, that's so good because like, man, if you don't, if you're not informed and he preaches this all, Israel talks about this all the time. If you're not informed and you're going to all the wrong sources, you're just going to be 
blindly informed and you're not going to really like that's not really the truth about what's what's being said about this particular topic and so that's why it it serves to go to several different places and say hey is this correct if you have it's just like school like if you have several different places or sources that are showing you all right this is you're getting the same answer every single time it's like all right this this must be this might be it this might be it yeah exactly yeah that's exciting man so what would you say what are all the different services you offer? Cause basically you're running your own private business. Yes. Um, so what are all the service services you offer and what does it look like on a day to day before coronavirus <laughs> quarantine? <laughs> and then may you talked a little bit about what it's like now, but what are all the things you do in an average week? Right. So, um, if it's like a busy week, which sometimes it is, sometimes it's not, um, I will normally, I try to have off on Mondays and Tuesdays. My wife normally has off on Mondays and Tuesdays, so it makes the most sense. I may do a little bit of work, maybe a little bit of social media posting, which doesn't really take a lot of time for me, but normally I try to have those two days free. And then, uh, Wednesday, it's kind of like going from the whole wake up at six 30, do my before 10 AM tasks. Um, normally on Wednesdays, we actually go to the gym as well. So I'm doing that. I always get a really nice, like 30 minute walk in with the dog, my, my two dogs. So I'll kind of get out there. I'll pop on a podcast and kind of like, I'm basically like, it's my version of drinking a cup of coffee and looking at the newspaper. Mm. I have a couple of, yeah, Yeah, I have a couple of podcasts that I listen to that have like, um, like tech news briefing and a couple like NPR things that kind of keep me updated on what's going on. Um, so kind of like general news kind of, uh, situations, uh, and then go to the gym, come back, get ready. My wife leaves for work over on nine 30 and, or I'll take her to work because that day I normally will go and I'm helping out a local church in Kissimmee, um, with doing their sound for, uh, the youth group. And so mm-hmm. that's a, that's a gig I have. I've, I've been working with him for about a year or so. Um, ever since he kind of took over as a youth pastor, he's been a really good friend of mine for a really long time. And I kind of like jumped in to kind of help him from the, from the get go. So that'll happen on Wednesday. It kind of brings up my whole day. I'll work on a couple of things that I have on my to-do list. Um, but that kind of, I I'm over at the church around two, maybe three o'clock up until around nine thirty, nine, and then I'll drive home. So, uh, that's kind of the day for that. And then, uh, it kind of just kind of off and on. It's really like a lot of the gigs that I end up getting are like calls that I'll get. And it's like, Oh, it's a company that I've worked for a couple of times. And so they've called me and they have something coming up. So then if it's like a week's time, then I'll be out of the house, um, for a couple of days or, um, and it's all local stuff. I'm driving like maybe like an hour or so to get somewhere. Sometimes it's in Kissimmee, sometimes it's in Orlando or, or Lakeland. Um, sometimes it's in Tampa. So kind of uh, all over the place. So I do, that's what a normal day looks like, essentially. Um, and if you kind of back out me going to a church, it's kind of what a normal day looks like for me. Um, and then I also, so going through all the services, the main service I'm really pushing is me servicing drums at local churches, venues, and for personal use. So I started that um, at the beginning of 2018. And it's kind of been going strong. I'm still still looking to grow. I'm connecting with people. But right now I'm at about seven 
churches that I kind of have worked with over the, those that two year span. And basically I'll just come in and I service their drums and I kind of evaluate. I try to at least like to come in like month three of a six month period trying to evaluate um, if it's a new church. I want to come in at least before I do the uh, service. So I see what I'm kind of walk, like putting myself into. Um, I just don't know how bad the drums have been over that time. I don't know how bad the heads are. Um, do both side, the resonant and batter side need to be changed? So all those questions need to be kind of answered before I like actually go full in with that church. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's kind of the, so that's what kind of, ooh, huh. that's what that kind of looks like on, uh, on that end. And I'm again, working with around seven churches right now. Um, and that was a cool start because you kind of have to sell people on the idea of the service itself. Um, it's not the drum maintenance and tuning and all that stuff. I can do that in my sleep. It's me being a salesman and saying, Hey, mm. um, this is a service that could really benefit you guys. And you could, and my push is like, you can save money by doing this, even though you're paying me twice a year or three times a year, or however often you want me to come here, I'm keeping the maintenance up on the kit that you don't have to buy a new kit every two years or something, mm. or it's not being trashed or worn out. And then you're stuck with this really crappy kit. Um, I like clean the shells. I, I'll clean the wrap with a finish on it to make it look shiny again. Um, and it, it almost looks like a brand new kit again. So that's kind of the the push. And it's really just showing them that the service is needed. And it's it, that's going to help them save money over time, which I think every church or venue or person wants to do is a, eventually be able to save money. Mainly the churches, like for people, it's really just like, hey, I just don't have the time to do it. Can you do this for me? Or can you, like, I, mm -hmm. I, I can't. I've had somebody come that literally just wanted me to tune it because they just can't get the sound that I normally bring out of drums through the the way I tune. And so they're just like, dude, I'm I'm coming into a lot of struggles right here. And so they'll come over to the house and I'll just kind of walk it, walk them through and, and hopefully they're going to be able to get it. But if not, then like, it's more work for me, I guess. Like, but I, I, I generally yeah. do want to help people when it comes to that. And so I also do like tuning lessons. Um, uh, I also do gigs and stuff. I play drums. So I have that on my website as well. Um, really just an assortment of things. I, I haven't pushed a lot of things on there yet. But um, even like offering social media help and services, like running your social media for businesses, um, kind of just a lot of things. But it really kind of really focuses on um, doing session work, being a drum tech, um, whether hired out on a tour or just a one-off gig, um, and then the drum maintenance for people. And then I try to like write blogs and stuff. And and then, sorry, <laughs> and the very the very main thing kind of is yeah. that kind of generates the most money for me is actually doing like live 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 like um technician work so like it's really like being a front of house engineer being a monitor engineer being a hand being an av tech um there's a certain company in in uh lakeland florida that i've kind of been freelancing a lot with and i met them through school when i was um doing media services it was literally like the first event that i did and we helped them load in everything and they were saying hey we're looking for people um to kind of fill in some spots during the summer or any you guys if you if you guys are available like hit us up here's my email here's my phone number um and just hit us up and and we'll get you situated and so that's uh 
that's where I kind of started off with them. And then it kind of evolved. And this year I'm kind of doing a lot more like um, engineering work as in being a monitor engineer and kind of developing those skills along the way. That's exciting. It seems like, like you were saying way back earlier and kind of hearing your personality, it seems like being able to do a lot of different things, but all related to drums and music and things like that seems like it jives really well with your personality. Would you say that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun to kind of, I've always wanted to be that jack of all trades, but also not of none though. I actually wanted to be very proficient in those in those things. And so that's where it's kind of, it's like a slow process and like, it's mm-hmm. really kind of being willing to be patient and take the time to invest into this skill at this moment in time and being okay with that. Cause at the end of the day, it's work and it's something that I'm able to still keep putting on that checklist of, Hey, I don't have to do Uber. I don't have to work another job. Like I can actually do this full time. And that's kind of always the goal. And I mean, growing up, I'm a massive podcast nerd and I would just listen to podcasts all the time. And that's what a lot of professional drummers would say is like, you got to be willing to do more than just one thing. You can't just like, we're kind of past the time of just being the drummer. Like it's very rare for anybody nowadays. I think it's not even just drums. That's kind of everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. So, uh, for me as someone who uses percussion, um, who is not very good at something like drum set, uh, what would you say are some simple things that you would recommend or just any tips you give people for very starting things about, you know, miking percussion or ways to play percussion? What do you, what do you tell somebody who's new to that? Um, don't feel like you have to play a ton. It, it could be as simple as like taking your hand and putting it on your knee and just doing I don't know if the mic picks that up, but just something so yeah. simple that um, can make a huge difference, um, not just with like yourself, but with the group. If you're sitting down and doing like a ther- therapy session with the group and all they're doing is taking like a djembe and they're hitting it a couple times. Um, it's just the, the it kind of brings people together. It's that uniformity of like being able to create this sound as one unit. And that's kind of what drummers end up doing is that like we're using four limbs and sometimes five because some some drummers sing like like Phil Collins or something. They'll sing. And so you're using all these different like limbs to all make this one beautiful sound. And for some people, a wad of a wall of noise (laughs) that's called the drums. (laughs) And that's all I will say. Just keep it. Keep it simple. I think people just try to complicate like percussion and drums just way too much. Um, and then kind of related specifically to your, your different roles, what are some things that people might not know or have myths about things like maintenance for drums? Uh, oh, oh man. Um, I think this doesn't really apply too much to the maintenance of drums, but when you're playing, and the longevity of your symbols. I think people have a very big misconception on what the right, how the right way to hit a symbol is like given. So I I really think, and I've been playing around with this idea a lot. And again, my, my buddy Isra does this 
is when you hit the symbol, you never hit it exactly on. You kind of like sweep over it. So instead of like giving a lot of force straight, it's like you're not playing through it. Um, if I can give like a vocal representation, kind of like you would take um, your hand instead of like going straight down like a like an up and down like motion. Smacking it. Yeah, yeah. You would do it almost at an angle where you're almost sweeping over it and kind of hitting it. But it kind of you can see the symbol spin a little bit around the symbol stand. And so it's like a samurai slice instead of a absolutely axe chop. <laughs> That's a perfect example. Yeah. And so that kind of gives your longevity of the, the symbol and also your tilt, like having symbols flat, that bothers me so much when I see drummers do that because you're then hitting the, uh, the edge of the symbol and that's going to crack that symbol so quick. Like it's not even going to like having them tilted down a little bit so that when you do come up, you're hitting it at an angle where you're not damaging the edge of the symbol. And so whether that's adjusting how high you come up with your hit, um, that all that plays an effect. And so adjusting according to um, where you want to get to with your symbols, that always helps. And so like it, everything can have an effect just because, and this is kind of like brings it all together. Just because another drummer does it doesn't mean it's good for you too. It, mm. it doesn't. I think we that could be applied to anybody that plays any instrument. It's like mm-hmm. just because you see somebody else do it, that may work for them, but it's probably probably not going to work for you because they've taught they probably do that for a particular reason, like why they have it like that. Whether it's whether it's literally just for show, or whether it's because they like it that way, or they like a symbol tilted um, like away from them instead of towards them. Like that's their. Like they've been playing for 15, 20 years. Like you can let them do that, but you may be in a situation with your journey that doesn't require you to do that or doesn't help you um, while you were to angle your symbol in a different way like this other person did. Well, um, oh, hold on. I had a thought and then it just went away. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, yeah. So you've had the opportunity to work with some really cool people. You've been doing this for a while now. What would you say are some of your favorite memories, you know, things that you've been able to do through starting your own business and doing, doing all this interesting work? Um, probably interesting so far was, um, being able to go on a tour. Uh, it was the first year I was doing everything in 2018 and uh, a buddy of mine I met in college um, ended up starting to play for this artist and uh, they just needed some extra help. And so we like figured out a price and all that stuff. And I was on the road for about uh, like a month, about a month or so. Um, and I was kind of able to see like a bunch of different states and really experience cool. like just being on the road and, and how to operate with different people and having a teardown process. I mean, actually a slight little plug. I did have an interview with a buddy of mine, um, Dan Radin on the drum showroom podcast that, I mean, he doesn't really do much with that podcast anymore, but I did, he did interview me while I was on the road. And so that's kind of like a cool Sweet. perspective in my lifetime that if anybody wants to listen to it, it's, it's out there yeah, we'll link on the, that. on the we'll webs. Link that in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, let's, Let's wrap into these last couple. I love your perspective on the music industry and just getting out there and trying different things. So 
I want to know the how and the why that you inspire people to make more music. Man, I, I think the how would be simply just being present with people. Um, it's it, it does a lot for people to know that you kind of have their back and it, mm. and you give them the opportunity to make um, better music or more music or um, even have a good service. Um, I think just being able to know where you stand, um, know your role and be okay with that role is mm. really, really important. Because like I could be the stuck up prideful drummer and want to do solos all the time, but that doesn't help the the process of making music. Um, yeah. it, 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 it's it's your part to um, you know play the drums the way they're supposed to be played and play play in a way that you're not the artist that the artist is the artist and you're all having one goal of like creating music and being able to mm. create something that people are going to want to listen to. I think we're so caught up in this, like, I want to get a banger. I want to go viral and something like a quick fix. When in reality, those quick songs don't last very often. It normally kind of stays and it'll be there for a little bit of time and then dies off. Cause we're so quick to jump to the next big thing. So in reality, mm -hmm. you're seeing a lot of these bigger, um, I mean, people that I really enjoy listening to people like John Mayer and, um, Bonnie Vare and all these people that are coming up or have come and are making music that literally stays like you can walk down the street and still hear somebody playing um, dancing in a burning room like that's just mm -hmm. that's such a classic song for people that when it comes to music music that it'll stay and yeah I mean I, I, I think that answer is both <laughs> yeah that's awesome man well if you were talking maybe to your teenage version of yourself or someone who is a teenager that's a drummer or someone that's burnt out in their career, what would you tell them to inspire them to, you know, do all those things you're saying to be present and whatnot? Uh, what would you tell that person? Um, be willing to have patience, be willing to have patience. Cause there's, there's definitely musicians out there that feel burned out. And I think being able to take a step back, I actually put a post out about this on social media and it was kind of like a cool, like slow-mo I was hitting, I was doing a snare roll and a snare drum and it kind of slow-moed the, the snare, the snare roll. And then it was kind of cool. But in the post, I was like, man, sometimes we need to be able to take a step back and slow things down to evaluate like where we're at and, and, and how this situation could benefit us. And so being able to really slow down, being able to have patience through the tough situation, through your dry period in your music making career, or even just like getting burnt out with like so many things going on. And that also attests mm. to like, maybe, you know, maybe you're not giving yourself enough time to rest. Rest is so important. And people think it's always about go, 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 go. But like, no, like you need to, like, we're human. We get burned out. We get, we get um, uninspired. And so there's just, sometimes it's just better just to take a step back and, and find that, mm. that quiet place you can run off to or go for a walk. I, that's why I love my walks in the morning. Even though I have a podcast playing, it gives me opportunities to like think and like, it's just not even worry about things that are happening that day because I already have them planned out. So it's really just giving me an opportunity to just enjoy the walk or enjoy the, the dogs and, and all that stuff. That's awesome, man. Well, Nate, it's been great chatting with you. It's cool to hear your perspective and 
how you've carved out this niche and you're just really serving, you know, the world as a whole through your social media, but really digging into central Florida and the people all around you and yeah. just being present. So somebody's waxing up their surfboard for the world wide web. <laughs> Where do you want them to look for all of your stuff? Um, you can go to www.testedbeatdrums.com. That kind of likes my central hub for everything. Um, all social media platforms are tested beat drums. And the only one that is different is um, TikTok, which is the drum nerd. And so I'm kind of just playing around with stuff like that on TikTok and, and whatnot. But yeah, you can basically, that's, that's, that's all you need to know. I mean, oh, uh, sorry. YouTube is just Nate Testa. So if you type in Nate Testa, you'll be able to find me. Sweet. And I think that's our first TikTok shout out of the show. So. Oh, it's, it's such a great app. <laughs> you get an award, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate your time. Uh, for Nate and Chris, every, remember everybody, give more love, share more grace, and make more music. All right. If you loved that episode, I would love if you'd go check out any of Nate's stuff at his website, social media. So he's always putting out a ton of content, so go check him out. All the links are in the bio. If you love this episode, the best way you could support me and the freest way you could support me is tell somebody that you think would love this show. Pass it along, text it to them, send them in an email, whatever. While we're all social distancing, send a bit, little bit of love their way. Uh, you can also join us on Instagram at make.more.music. And if you know someone that should be a guest, um, if you're a brand that's looking to partner, if you need help editing your own podcast, if you want some special theme music or someone to collaborate with hit me up make more music podcast at gmail.com otherwise i'll catch you all in the next one give more grace share more love make more music